HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. All in the Industry is sponsored by Pop Menu, which helps turn first-time guests into regulars for your restaurant. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash hrn. This week on Meet and 3, we're jumping into a world filled with fizz, iridescence, and deliciousness. We're talking about bubbles. It came from the air gas truck. Yeah, no, I never thought about it before that. And I think it's emerged as a bulbous tea shops, a site of Asian American youth uh, identity building. We're called the invisible industry because these products you don't really see, but they're around us in every way, um, every day. Listen to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, April 7th, 2021. This is the 285th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the founder and chair of a premier catering and events company in New York City, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to thoughtfully source ingredients. Yes, delicious food starts at the source, and that means with our farmers. So whenever possible, we should try to buy our food directly from local farmers and farmers markets or join a CSA. And by doing so, we will not only be nourishing our bodies to the best of our ability with real, fresh, and seasonal flavors, but we will be supporting our local community and economy too. So let's seek optimal sourcing. It's the ideal way. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to have my guest joining me. It is Liz Newmark. She is the founder and chair of Great Performances. New York City's premier catering and events company, which she established in 1980 as an event staffing service for women pursuing careers in the arts. The company has since evolved into one of the country's foremost catering companies, 
In 2007, Liz launched Catchkey Farm, an organic farm in Kinderhook, New York, which also serves as a hands-on learning center for the Sylvia Center, a nonprofit devoted to educating young people about the connection between food and health that Liz also founded in 2007. Liz is the recipient of an impressive array of honors and accolades from outlets including Forbes, BizBash, and NYC Media. She was recently named one of New York's most powerful women by Cranes New York. And without further ado, Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sherry. Great to be here with you. Well, it's great to have you. And I always, it's always so kind of funny to me that, I mean, my my bio that I presented for you, that's like the, the short version. It, it's still chock full of so much good stuff. <laughs> well, like you know, me. if I started in 1980, oh my God, that's like <laughs> it's a lot of time I, to try to get things done. Well, you've accomplished you've accomplished a lot, um, certainly. So um, I always start out the show with kind of going back in in history a little bit to finding out how my guests got started with their career. So you, you want to take us back a little bit? We were talking before the show about growing up in in New York. Right, right. Now I'm a I'm a native New Yorker, uh, third generation Manhattan. So I always say I come from a very small island. Um, and, and, and it is, um, and, you know, at home, uh, I ended up in the hospitality business, you know, really quite by accident in, in my small town mode. I never left the Island for college. I'm a Barnard girl and I studied urban studies and political science, which, you know, by the end of the eighties was not going to get you any job, uh, possible. And I discovered a love for photography, um, but nobody really was hiring me um, for photography that fast. And I thought I need flexible income. And the hospitality world just wasn't open to women. Uh, You know, the restaurant world, there was, what do we always talk about? The auditioning couch for good restaurant jobs. Mm -hmm. And I had a whole bunch of friends, also uh, women in the arts looking for work. And, you know, we had this idea to have a women-only waitress service. Uh, We were all from the arts, and we'd be able to create flexible schedules, well-paying jobs, and continue to pursue our careers. And that's what we did. And our name, uh, we came up with great performances, Artists as Waitresses Incorporated, and um, and that still, of course, is, is our name today. It's a tribute to to our roots. Um, you know what happened back then? We had a bartender go to some Park Avenue house one night, and the woman who had booked the bartender calls me up, all hysterical. She goes, "Liz, Liz, June is here." I said, "That's great," but I could see she's flustered. You know what's the problem? She says, uh, it, it, but she's a woman. I said, so? She says, what will my guests say? I said, your guests are going to say, you know, can I have a gin and tonic? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, just the idea of, yeah. of women in hospitality just wasn't happening then. Uh, so one right. of the first things we did is, is we integrated and, and I think in year two, we brought in guys. Wow. So, uh, and then, and then, how did the company continue to progress and turn into this 
premier catering company. Um, I mean, you, you, I can't even imagine how many events you've done over the years. <laughs> I, we don't, we don't count, right? Because it's always about <laughs> tomorrow. Anyhow, not yesterday. <laughs> We had just the way uh, we evolved to being a diverse company in terms of gender. One day I was on the phone with a client who said, booking the staff from you. And by the way, I need hors d'oeuvres. Could you bring the hors d'oeuvres? Well, the word no is simply not in our vocabulary. So we said yes. And we were working with caterers at that time who were using our staff. So we figured out how to get food to the customers. And... Uh, a year later, we built a kitchen and we started doing catering. So we were staff and catering. And for, for a long time, people just knew us as a staffing agency. And as time went on, people start to know us as a catering company. So it was just very organic, very unintentional, unplanned expansion. Yeah. So how did, I mean, how did you, I guess, learn about food or, or running a catering company and and were you, I mean, were you into, I don't know, growing up, were you a, a, a food person or it was sort of just something that kind of grew on you and, and it was a, a business opportunity that you realized you were, uh, could excel at and were good at? Things you have to remember is back in the early 80s, there really weren't a whole lot of catering companies. It was mm-hmm. my image of a catering person was some old school European woman with a black and white outfit and some sort of really old fashioned kinds of hors d'oeuvres. It was really the birth of, of the hospitality catering industry in New York. So no one really knew what they were doing. But I grew up in a family that really prized hospitality. So if there were five people coming for dinner, uh, there was food for 20. And I'm one of three sisters, and we were each, for every meal, assigned a course. So I knew where you served, what side what side you cleared from. Uh, and we always helped in the kitchen. I was not a food person. Uh, uh, the way we talk about foodies now, that, that just wasn't, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't part of my vocabulary. But in my in my heart and who I have always been is this notion of hospitality. And I really do believe even today, it's, do we really remember what we ate or do we remember the experience and how we were served and and how we felt? So I think that sort of trumps food on a certain level. Yeah, Um, yeah, it is true. It's just a different perspective. Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely. sure Foodie would argue with me, but um, but th- th- we what do we say, GP? We say life happens around food that's and good, all those gatherings, and yeah, and that's what we've been missing, right? If we've been missing people a little less than food, I think. Well, Although yeah, some food I, mean, I really miss. <laughs> no, well, that I've you know over this past year and realizing. Um, living, I mean, for me living by myself and uh, I've one of, I mean, later I have my solo dining experience and I've always gone out a lot by myself, but dining out in a restaurant, uh, it, you realize is way more um, about the experience than it's not just about the food because it's di- very different than dining alone in your own apartment. It's when 
because that's the only thing happening is the food. <laughs> right. <laughs> or the TV or whatever. Right. The cat. Right. But you're they're missing the ambiance in the, the community. And so um Exactly. Yeah. So so I mean from I guess we'll jump ahead a little to to in 2007 where you you had some some major things happen and you you started the Sylvia Center and you also started Catchkey Farm. Do you want to um, tell yeah. us a bit about um, how sure. this came about? Sure. Well, as 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 I spent more and more years in the food business, I did fall in love with ingredients. And one of the things that really struck me was where our food comes from and i my family is uh russian origin and i always think there was some crazy gene that got mixed up in me because i wanted a farm and the more we grew as a company you, you can start to look at food as a commodity and i just didn't want that to happen i i, I wanted us to to taste you know, just like your PR tip of, of the day, you know, taste that love in the food and, and connect to our world and, 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 and the basic things that happen, food growing and the weather. And uh, so I wanted to farm. And life is unpredictable. And uh, there was a, a, a very challenging moment in my life in, in 04. Um, my my youngest child Sylvia, uh, just shy of her seventh birthday, uh, died of a very suddenly of a of an aneurysm. And coming from an industry that just goes crazy over details, you know, obsessive over the the, the color of the tablecloth and the temperature of the food, I thought there's just no way I'm ever gonna care about this level of minutia again. Uh, but I woke up one morning and I thought, okay, this is how I find my way back. I'm going to buy this farm I've been dreaming about, going to grow food for great performances, and the farm will be home to the Sylvia Center and create a legacy for, for my daughter who really wanted to be a helpful human. She was quite extraordinary. And uh, it helped me sort of reframe my life and redefine the work that I was doing. Uh, and it, uh, it did, it changed the course of everything for me. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I have, I have the chills listening to you and I are, I knew I was at, um, I knew a bit of your story. I was at the Schmaltzy event uh, with NYC <laughs> Food and Wine Festival. Um, I think it was 2019, and yeah. you 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 spoke and you told your story, and you I mean you brought the whole room to tears. Um, it was, uh, but I I just have so much respect and admiration for you, and your your also your storytelling abilities are um, <laughs> quite impressive. You you really you really. <sighs> Um, as I said, you captured all of our hearts. And I think the fact that you were able to, um, uh, I don't know, come, come uh, take, take your experience and, and create the Sylvia Center and Kachki Farm. And, and, and now, I mean, like almost 15 years later, it's like thriving mm -hmm. and you've, you've created such a amazing um, new part of great performances. 
Yeah. You know, one of the things I learned, Sherry, is uh, that everybody goes through, life is hard. I think, look what we've mm-hmm. all been through this last year and all the suffering and, and the death and the people we've lost. And uh, I'm just so blessed and lucky to to have found a, a way to a, honor the memory of, of, of someone I care about and to have this industry embrace it and support it and you know, people people are challenged every day and i think it's and you know, we never we never really think about it so you have to um so yeah it's true. A, it's a whole nother a whole nother conversation yeah yeah well and i mean we talk let's talk a bit about what's happened over the past year because yeah. from what i i know you i mean the pandemic um happened and or has still happening and um and you you and your uh company stepped up and started uh, delivering meals and um yes. you know just being being there for for people so you want to you want to tell us a little yeah. about you know what happened sure sure it was not a great feeling last march when every event started canceling and all our cultural institutions started closing down and it's like you're sitting in your chair and you see the tsunami coming at you and all it says is uh, you know devastation on a certain level mm-hmm. but also at that same time i'd been down at a meeting uh, at city hall with uh, kate mckenzie had organized it and there were people from the food industry and they knew there was going to be a real issue feeding the elderly who instead of going to community centers for daily meals were going to be stuck at home and remember we said the word no is not in our vocabulary and we said we will help produce the meals and we will help deliver them now I know how to put a thousand meals on a truck and deliver them to a party for a thousand people. But we had never done a thousand individual meals to a thousand individual households, uh, you know, in a five hour period. But, but we figured out how to do it. Um, and it was, it was really probably one of the most remarkable experiences of, of, of my career and, and, and we've done amazing parties, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, in a pandemic, to see who was willing to show up was, was the first unbelievable moment because you were getting paid unemployment plus an extra $600 to stay home. So there were, there were a lot of people who were just content to be home and it was dangerous. It was scary. We needed cooks in the kitchen. We needed over a hundred people on a daily basis to drive the trucks to houses all around the neighborhoods and to do these deliveries. And men and women, people from from different communities, many of them who people were been on our staff, came in to work every day because they wanted to be a part of helping other people. Uh, you know, that gives me chills because I, I would show up and I would ask someone, you know, why did you come in today? Why, why are you working? And they said, I, I can't stay home. I can't stay home. Yeah. 
No, it's, it's, it's tremendous. And I give you a lot of credit for stepping up with that as well. And, 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 and you know what, it really wasn't, it really, really wasn't me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be, you know, the poster child for it, but it was chefs who said to their spouses, look, honey, you know, I know you're not happy about this, but I've got to go to work. I've got to, you know, we had thousands of, of, of seniors depending on us for food. Uh, and, it, and it wasn't easy. It, 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 it wasn't easy for anybody. Uh, but it's, it was, and, and then how they transformed the kitchen. Because our kitchen, and you don't know how New York kitchens are. You're standing shoulder to shoulder. They're like subways. Mm-hmm. And how do we social distance in the kitchen? And 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 how do we start to enforce uh, all the safety protocols? I mean, that was uh, you know, there. There there are things that are on the job training, and that was on the job training. Um, yeah. So our IT guy discovered this incredible piece of software that automated all the delivery. I mean, things we never even realized were going to be obstacles for us. We were confronted with immediately, and 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 because our life in as special events, you know, no two days are ever the same. It's always problem solving, always. So in that regard, this was like a typical catering experience, <laughs> right? And this is out of your your facilities in the Bronx that you're yes. working. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you my question for my last guest on episode 284. I had it on executive chef Justin Smiley of Il Buco A and B, and he wants to know how have you in the catering sphere been making guests feel safe. Are you still using the same number of people? And what are the restrictions on parties? How did you pivot and change your business? Did you have better luck with things inside or out with events? Hmm. So it's a multiple part question. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Um, First of all, better outside than inside. Right. Every day there's new inquiries about brides who want to get married outside. And that's great. Uh, the pivot is, uh, what do I say? The 20 is the new 200. So a year and a half ago, if you would have said, oh, I want to do a wedding for 20 people, we'd say, oh, who wants to take this inquiry? Because everything was for 200, 300, you know, uh-huh. you know, just a different landscape. So now uh, small is beautiful. And when we have a wedding for 20, we're really, we're as excited <laughs> about it as if it was for, for, for 200. Uh, and there are restrictions. There are state restrictions and then city restrictions on guest count uh, or a percentage of occupancy. People are just allowed to go back inside. We haven't seen a whole lot of inside catering. We're doing workplace dining, which means we have some customers back in the office and they want to feed their people. And, and that's a huge trend. And that's a, a, it's a big pivot. It's something we had started pre-COVID doing workplace dining, but now it's, it's a much bigger focus. And I think as people start to find their way back to work, one of the lures that landlords and employers will have is I will give you a delicious free lunch. So that will be something that we hope to be doing. And then I think on a very basic level, 
there's testing, safety training that is absolutely rigorous. Probably for about the last 10 months, I've gotten my nose swabbed once a week. Um, mm -hmm. But now I'm fully vaccinated, so yeah. I only do it about once a month or so. And, and we are requiring that everybody who works for the company get vaccinated. It's, it's prerequisite. You want to work, you want to come back, got to get vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's good and smart and what we're going to be seeing across, I would think in a lot of places across the board with events and, and just all businesses in general. Um, you're, you I I know about your um your guest chef program. Is that part of what you were alluding to with um serving uh corporate clients? So the guest chef program started pre-COVID. Uh we call it People's Kitchen. Because when we're we're feeding people every day, you have to really keep it fresh. There's nothing harder than being in the same office every day and bringing food to the table. So one of the programs we developed, People's Kitchen, brings guest chefs in to the workplace. It could be for a specialty theme menu, maybe Cinco de Mayo, but also for different kinds of cuisines and just to keep it fresh. So one of the things that we realized in the COVID world is there's very few, I don't think you've ever heard anybody, the mayor, the governor, the president, say, oh, the poor catering business. But they huh. all say the poor restaurant business. And we're very sensitive to that. And one of the things we want to do is neighbors to our folks in the Bronx, as well as the city, is take some of the business we have and bring in restaurateurs to help with serving the, creating the meals. So on Thursdays in our workplace dining accounts, we give, we, we hire the restaurants to bring in the meals. Uh, and that's, people love it. Uh, yeah, well, and I, we love well, it. I, I learned of it through Georgette Farkas, who I know um, ah. is, is part of your team now, your culin culinary ambassador, as uh, she's yes. a friend and, um, I actually, I introduced her to a restaurant um, that I'm working with called Azatar, and they they became, a, they were part of your program now. So. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. Uh, yeah. And we try to, like, small little restaurants, uh, women-owned restaurants, minority-owned restaurants, mm -hmm. just to, uh, you know, first of all, it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. It's a good thing to do. We all have to watch out for each other in the hospitality industry. Uh, and it, it, it enhances our relationship with our clients. So it's, yeah. it's really been fun. And it's great having Georgette. Oh, my God. I love Georgette. Uh, she's amazing. And and everything you're doing is amazing. I mean, I wish I had a, a longer show because we're, we're just kind of, we're not even like touching on, I don't know, you have virtual cooking classes and meal kits and just virtual events. I mean, there's a, you're, you have a lot, a lot <laughs> under your umbrella. Oh. Um, well, before we take a break, just uh, I'll ask mm -hmm. one more question. It's like, what do you, what do you love most about being an entrepreneur? And then what would you say is the most challenging part? What I love most about being an entrepreneur is 
the possibilities for creativity and innovation. Uh, and that is just so much fun, especially in a city like New York, where there's so much stimulation, so much incredible talent. So the idea of having to compete and being inventive is 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 great. You know, I, I, I thrive on that. And I thrive on the stress of it. Yes, yeah. that's, that's what I like. Uh, and on, on the flip side, <laughs> I never want to go through another pandemic. I, I know I say, I remember after the, the, the market crash uh, in 08, I thought, oh, I'm never going through something like this again. This is, this is it. You know, that, that was my crucible. And, um, and, and here we go. Here we go again. The, the hardest part is, is the, the stress that I love is the stress that, that is, that is really hard that, uh, we had to furlough people. We had to, you know, what really motivated me to find that business and, and keep pivoting is that there are, you know, dozens and maybe hundreds of families. There are hundreds of families that, that count on us. And I can't let them down. Um, so it's a lot of pressure. It's, it's, it's a lot, a lot of pressure. And, and that's hard. That's hard because you want to keep balance. You want to be happy um, and not feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. But there are times you wake up in the middle of the night and the weight of the world is on your shoulders. And it's, it's, it's not fun, but, you know, go get a good cup of tea, find the cat, snuggle up, hmm. wake up my husband and, uh, and then get back to bed. Yeah, well... I hear you, and I I think I I'll, I I think um, uh, no more pandemics in our lifetime. <laughs> Been there, done think, it, done. I think we got the big one out of the way, right? I hope so. Uh, hopefully so. But kudos to you for everything you've done to get through this time. I mean, really, it no, is, we're not done it yet. Is. We're not done yet. True. True. Well. On that note, let's take a little break. We will come back and we will play my speedrun game. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining ex experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Restaurant owners know how difficult it can be owning and managing a restaurant, especially with so many third-party systems. And that's where Pop Menu comes in the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu is an all-in-one toolkit for restaurant owners, including a dynamic menu design, website hosting, and more. Pop Menu gives restaurateurs full control, such as the ability to make real-time updates to menus and provide online and contactless ordering. I love checking out restaurant menus before I visit a place. And Pop Menu not only makes viewing menus easy, but provides photos of the dishes, which is an added bonus. If you're a restaurant owner, you need Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month. Plus, you'll lock in an unchanging monthly rate. 
go to popmenu.com slash HRN. Again, that's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash HRN. The United States Bartenders Guild and Diageo have reimagined the world-class U.S. bartending competition, creating for the first time ever a virtual week-long event that anyone 21 or over is invited to attend. Now you can have a front row seat watching the top 50 bartenders compete in four amazing, fierce, and exciting challenges. Catch all the educational studios that inspired this year's competition at diageobaracademy.com and click on World Class. Register by April 13th to access this event. It is free. You will be able to access all of the competitions and behind the scenes action live or on demand, including expert led panels and brand education events hosted by industry experts from around the globe. Visit diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com and click on the world-class banner to register today. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Liz Newmark. She is the founder and chair of Great Performances, New York City's premier catering and events company. So Liz, now it is time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I'm gonna name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. <laughs> this is where it gets light and fun. All this, you know. Okay. <laughs> I welcome Okay. It. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Know. Maybe not as light and fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, out. out. Okay. Yeah. How about wine, beer, cocktail, soft cocktail, or champagne? Mm, champagne. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Indoor events or outdoor? Outdoor. Catchkey ketchup, thunder pickles, or <laughs> barbecue sauce? <laughs> uh, thunder pickles and are these products still available uh, barbecue is not but we okay. have incredible hot sauce and okay. ketchup is and thunder pickles are for the end of time we're going to make them oh fabulous I would like to get some <laughs> done okay. oh, oh, oh good okay um <laughs> Two more, cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Uh, <laughs> Bronx. Oh, the Bronx, sorry. I, got to, <laughs> my, my, I traditionally do Manhattan or Brooklyn because our Heritage Radio studio um, I know. was originally in Brooklyn. in Brooklyn, but I should have added in the Bronx and that deserves a shout out. <laughs> this, is the, this is the year of the Bronx. The Bronx, the, Bronx. Feeds the, east, the Bronx feeds the eastern seaboard. 
I love it. It's awesome. Okay, so for industry news, I picked out an article that was on Bloomberg Pursuits. It's entitled, A World's Best Restaurant Starts Food Truck Ahead of Reopening. And this is about 11 Madison Park is partnering with Rethink to feed underserved communities. It was written by Kate Crater. And yeah, it's talking about chef owner Daniel Hum's 11 Madison Park, which people listening to the show probably know it's been ranked one of the best restaurants in the world, three Michelin stars, four New York Times stars. And um, before they're re- looking to reopen their dining room, they are getting, they're launching this, a, a truck called the 11 Madison truck. It's going to start next Monday, April 12th. And uh, it's a partnership with nonprofit Rethink to feed underserved food communities. And guess what? It's starting with New York. Bronx. Bronx. (laughs) So funny. When I picked this article, I really didn't even put that two and two together. (laughs) I know, right? That's fabulous. Yeah. (laughs) So um, what do you you think of this? Um, 11 Madison Park also, they did... um, Last year, at the near the beginning of the pandemic, they initially partnered with Rethink and was and flipped their space into a commissary kitchen, and they donated up to three thousand meals a day in collaboration with the nonprofit. So they've been working together now for about a year, but the truck is is a new um, element. Right, right. No, I was excited to read that. I, I, I think it's incredible because on the Bronx, we talk about the Bronx being home to Hunts Point that feeds the eastern seaboard but cannot feed itself. And the hunger is, the food insecurity is, it's unfathomable uh, that in America, that in New York City, that, that over 20% of the population is food insecure. So uh, I, I absolutely salute what they're doing. I love Rethink. I, I think they're dynamic and creative. Um, and the neighborhood will be really, really excited to see them. Um, I think they will be a little bit of a learning curve to, to be culturally appropriate in terms of food. Uh, but I don't think that's a hard mountain to climb. And the need is is really profound. I know we as a company have been really good about food rescue. That's one of um, uh, an important foundational pillar for us. Nothing goes in the garbage if it's if it can can be used and served and eaten. And we are filling in over here in Mott Haven. <laughs> From what I understand, there's a big line now waiting for the daily truck to come with food rescue and meals, a couple hundred meals a day. Um, so I, 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 I hope they are paving the way for other people really thinking about our hungry families uh, in, in these communities. So I salute them. Yeah, yeah me too. And I hope and it's I just agree. the beginning. You know, we have to think we have an industry that most important thing you can do for people, yes, we should all be feeding hungry people, we need jobs. We need to find jobs and workforce training, which is a really big focus of, of mine this year, especially with youth, because we have a unique opportunity to bring youth into the hospitality industry. There's a low uh, entry barrier. We can train them and we can give people jobs. And with jobs, you feed your own family, you take care of your, your, your family, your neighbors. 
and and that's important. Yeah, I agree completely. And um, this article said that their the their truck is um, they're they're setting out to serve 400 meals a day for free, and it's being staffed by the EMP employees on a rotating basis. And so, right. yeah, I think it's I think it's great. I think rethink's great. I think um, Daniel Home with you know their partnership and everything they've done. Um, yes. It's it's wonderful, and I know also EMP. They're looking they're looking to reopen. I um I think I think maybe I saw something like in June, but this is you know this is one of the pricier tasting menu experiences you can get in New York, and they um yes. um I think people are will be excited um to have that back as well. You know, very much so. fine dining was has definitely been hit hard in in the city and everywhere. So. Um, you know, one of the things I, I see, especially being up here in the Bronx, and it makes me think about the men and the women from EMP who will get on the truck and come up to neighborhoods that I am sure they have never been to before in their life. You know, people think of the Bronx, they think of Arthur Avenue, Yankee Stadium, the Bronx mm-hmm. Zoo, the Botanical Gardens, and that's it. <laughs> and it, it's, yeah. a, it, it's a big borough. It's a big, big borough with a lot of poverty. It's it, from a health outcome. It's the lowest ranking uh, district in the entire state. And you know they come from this rarefied world of, of the most expensive tasting menu. And to be able to go into these communities and, and, and meet people, I think will be so important because the city has to come together to recover and heal. Um, so it's, it, it's great on so many levels. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'm excited about it. I'm excited they're doing it and give them a lot of yes. credit. So we should go. We should go follow the truck. <laughs> Seriously, you know. well, you're naming every place I've been to in the Bronx, and I'm thinking like, hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, you'll come visit um, me. You'll come visit me. You don't. Ha- you yeah. don't have a. You don't have our address in your have have visited list. So no, I mean, you're hearing the sounds of the Bronx outside the windows. So I'm sorry for the yeah. uh, sound effects. That's okay. That's that's what's like living living in in the city around the city. It's um it's what our lives are like. So I I like it <laughs> a little of character. <laughs> um, so uh, just a little reminder that uh, I've launched merchandise sales on allintheindustry.com, and this includes an all in the industry hat, which we're going to be donating a hundred percent of the proceeds to the Independent Restaurant Coalition through May 31st. So go to allintheindustry.com backslash merch and get your swag. Um, I got some some good stuff up there. And yeah, the hats had some um, contributing to the IRC because they've, you know, been doing so much incredible work and I, I want the, them to keep, keep at it and uh, be able to thrive in helping to save restaurants. So, okay, it's time for my solo dining experience. So this week I went to Balthazar. Here's the rundown. The location, 80 Spring Street, Soho, New York City. The concept, iconic French brasserie, open all day, every day. The owner, legendary restaurateur, Keith McNally. So why'd I go? Well, this is a classic New York dining institution and they had been closed since the pandemic hit last March and they just got back open and I wanted to go check it out and support them. I really am a fan of the restaurant. 
So my experience, I made a reservation on Resi uh, for two. I find, as I've mentioned on this show often, a lot of times I can't get a reservation for one. Just they don't, people don't have their systems set up that way. So I make it for two and I show up and I hope they're going to, you know, welcome me as a soloist. And they did. They were very welcoming. Um, they did uh, They did temperature check. They had a, a contact tracing form to fill out. And then they led me. Um, I was sitting in inside. They also had outdoor dining. But I was uh, inside at a cozy corner, two top along the banquette. Um, it was a really great spot for, to see the room and uh, socially distanced tables. My server was absolutely lovely. It was very attentive service. The food was delicious. I felt very welcome and I was very happy to be there. I was just sorry I'm missing Mr. Keith McNally. He wasn't there that evening. So what did I get? I got their complimentary bread basket, which comes from their bakery. I also got escargot with garlic butter, Dover sole filet with Swiss chard and sauce Nor Normandy, and I got a side of palm frites. So my take, it was fabulous. I mean, these are things that I haven't eaten much of recently at all, escargot. I don't remember last time I had had it. Um, and it was it was really quite delicious in, in, its, uh, in its garlic butter. I was I made sure not to have like a pretty woman Julia Roberts moment with trying to get the little <laughs> snails out. Um, I was like, had too thick. I was being very careful with it, but um, quite delicious. Um, Dover sole was also delicious, the sauce. And Dover Soul is one of these things that you typically can't get as a soloist because it's usually served for two people, but it was a filet. So I was glad I was able to do that. And I got a side of their fries because they make, they just have great fries. And so I figured that was kind of like my dessert. So the ambiance, uh, it's a grand brasserie. It has a large bar, which is not being seated at this time from the pandemic. Um, the dining room is filled with red le leather banquettes. It has oversized brass mirrors and a high tin ceiling. And, you know, even with whatever, I think we're at 50% capacity now, um, good energy in the room. And they, they do have this outdoor setup with covered seating and the whole, everything was, you know, I think they were at capacity for their limited capacity. Um, it's a popular place. So I was glad to get my reservation. I'd say it's perfect for experiencing what New York City dining is all about. Interesting tidbit. So Balthazar opened in 1997. My server, Macy, told me she had been working there since 2000, and she was glad to be back after having the year off from the pandemic. She also proudly told me in the picture they have, a, there was a Grub Street article I talked about um, on Balthazar's reopening, and she's in the picture, and she was very proud to be the only female server. So um, that was cool. Personal fun fact, yes, I did take a bathroom selfie and post it because it's just, that's another thing when you go to Balthazar, you kind of got to take a selfie in the bathroom just because they got the cool mirrors. Um, the cost of this meal was $75. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. And their website is balthazarny.com. There you go. So Liz, you want, you want to go back to Balthazar with me? <laughs> I, anytime. It's one of my favorite places. <laughs> Yeah, it, oh, it I think it's a lot you. of people's. No. I know, and that's the thing. It, the menu is, it, it's kind of hard to, I was, you know, trying to figure out what to get as well. There's a lot of amazing options um, and uh, you can't really go wrong. So. Well, that's why sometimes, yeah, I'm a vegetarian and sometimes I'm just grateful because it makes it easier to choose. It's mm. like, okay, I don't have to look at half the menu. It makes it a lot easier. <laughs> 
Yeah. And also restaurants, I feel over the past several years, you know, the vegetarian options have, have gotten more, I guess, uh, interesting or more, um, uh, more variety as well. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's, I, I, exactly. I, I think there's just more to look when, when you're looking more limited, you see more within those options than you, you would have seen otherwise. Right. So, and you can always have pump frits. So that's good. That's always good. <laughs> always. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's time for the final question. So my next guest is Gavin Kaysen. He's an award-winning chef and the founder of uh, Soigne Hospitality Group, which includes Spoon and Stable, Demi, and Bellacore Bakery at Cook's in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's the co-founder of Heart of the House Foundation, a nonprofit created to sustain the growth and health and prosperity of the Soigne Hospitality family. And he's also featured in a new book that, that is from Fiden that just came out called Today's Special, 20 Leading Chefs Choose 100 Emerging Chefs. And um, so we're going to have a lot to talk about. But um, Liz, what would you like to ask Gavin? You know, it's interesting. I spent a lot of time on his website. It was absolutely beautiful. And, and to see uh, the patronage of local farms and the support of the community. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, a couple of different questions. One, I'm curious what the inspiration was for um, embarking on the family community health aspect uh, of, of what he's doing. And um, the other thing that that, that sort of struck me was, okay, Minneapolis, we're all thinking about Minneapolis a little bit differently since, uh, mm -hmm. since the summer and George Floyd's murder. And I was just wondering how that affected uh, the work, how, how he thinks about diversity uh, differently, equity in the industry, because being ground zero to, to that rebirth of, of, of the Black Lives Matters movement. Um, I, I would be really curious to, to hear from someone uh, of his standing in, in Minneapolis. Yeah, those are great questions. And I'm, I'm glad you asked them because I want to I want to hear what he has to say about all that as well. Um, I know I've been I've I've Gavin used to work for uh, Danielle Ballou in New York. That's how I know him. And then he moved. I know he moved back to Minneapolis. It's his hometown. But I all these years he's been there. I've, every time I see him, I'm like, I need to come visit. I need to come visit. <laughs> I haven't made it there yet. And I'm just yeah. I, I feel it even uh, just I need to go visit. <laughs> are, are you vaccinated, Sherry? I just got my second second one. Yeah. Okay, so you're two weeks away from being able to get on a plane. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's Not. good. It's good. And and I think, yeah, I'm I miss traveling and I'm um I I might be that might be a trip coming up for me. <laughs> I definitely I, I definitely want to make Oh god. I was gonna say the question is what's the first place you're gonna go to if you you yeah, know by well, plane? Well that also I'm thinking with him, um with Minneapolis, it's definitely um, a place I would want to visit to probably be before the winter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, summertime, point. fall, maybe sounds probably nice. But um, yeah, I will find yeah. out how things are with him and look forward to speaking with him. And um, I'm 
thrilled to have spoken with you today. Uh, you're incredible, and I wish you much continued success. And I hope uh, I just I hope you just continue to thrive, and that things do get easier, or just not no more no more tragedies, <laughs> no more pandemic. Yeah, well, everybody you know. everybody should go out and have a party. That's that's uh. Get into the room with a couple of hundred strangers and have a great big old party. And we will get there. We will get there. And Cherry, it's great to it's great to spend time with you. And I I I I love your show. So and I love that you love Georgette. And we're gonna get you up here. Thank you. Yeah, George. I'll throw it out there on this show. Georgette and I uh, practice yoga together. Sometimes we are we are both yogis. And so mm. we kind of, we bonded a little over that beyond knowing each other through the industry and mm-hmm. um, restaurants and PR. So I would love to come up um, and, and with her or just, yeah, and see see your, your spot and get up to the farm as well. Um, I would love to have you there. And so um, July 24th, we do our farm dinner for the Sylvia Center. So put that on your calendar. I'm writing it down. And also I should mention, I don't, I looked back, back. So in October, 2014, because when I was doing the show for that long on episode 40, I had on Matthew Riznick, who was Ah. leading your catering back then. I don't, I don't know. I don't believe he's still with the company, but I did do a show with him. Um, That I don't know. It's hard to believe it was seven years ago. So I'll just say quickly, Matt, I, it sounds funny. I married Matt. Um, I officiated at his wedding. And oh, wow. So I married him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yesterday was his wedding anniversary. And I emailed him and he sent me some pictures of his absolutely delicious, uh, adorable daughter. And he has taken a break from cooking, uh, dabbling in real estate. Um, and, you know, whether he's, he's such a, a wonderful chef. So whether it's just a, a little break after a COVID year, which was brutal on our industry, and he kind of finds his way back to the kitchen or, you know, becomes some real estate tycoon, mogul, whatever, uh, who knows? But funny that's because we we just exchanged emails yesterday. So funny. Well, tell him I say hello. I will. <laughs> yeah, I remember I will. it was we had a great show. We did it at the studio in in Bushwick at Heritage Radio, and um, but I, it's yeah, it's I don't know how it was that many years ago. <laughs> Time flies. <laughs> it flies. Listen, it's, it's we're in our second year of, uh, of, of the COVID world. So whoever thought yeah. we would be near too. I know. I know. Well, it does fly and we'll, it'll all be a, a memory soon enough. So it will. Wow. Again, thank you so much for joining me and congratulations on all of your success. And I wish you the best. Thank you. A pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Liz. My guest today has been Liz Newmark. She's the founder and chair of Great Performances, New York City's premier catering and events company. Her website is greatperformances.com and on social media at GP Food and at Catch Key Farm. You can follow me on social media at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com. SherryBear.com and allintheindustry.com.
All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks, as always, to my engineer, Amanda Wang. Thanks again to Liz. And thanks to our publicist, Shelly. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with a new show. I hope you'll tune in then. Stay safe and well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.